0: Matthew chapter 8, I was tempted, but I like to think it was a decision of wisdom to not wear my Patriots jersey today, I most certainly will not be proud of how today goes, so I have very low expectations, Matthew uh, chapter 8, as you're turning there, uh, in the As you came in this morning uh, and as you leave this morning, if you uh, need one of the step-out books, one of the devotional books that uh, we are using as we walk through this series together, please make sure you grab one of those. Um, I think you'll find it helpful and encouraging to uh, kind of participate with us as we uh, do our study uh, together over this week, next week again. And then again, a reminder, next Sunday evening, right here, 6 p.m., we are going to have a celebration service. We are going to have baptisms. We're going to uh, take communion together. Uh, We're going to sing together. It's going to be a great time. So next Sunday evening, October 2nd. uh, How is it possible that it's October 2nd next Sunday evening? I have no idea. It's crazy. Um, Good. All right. Um, I'm not going to preach last week's message. And all in favor, again, said amen. But here's the big idea from last week that I tried to keep in front of you. The biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you to trust him, right? And last week after the service, I had so many conversations with so many of you that that agreed, not because it's like, well, that's a great statement. No, because you're like, look at what's happening in my life. This is crazy. And I can tell you right now that what's happening is God's trying to get me to trust him. And I say, amen, and then I make it home, and God says, hey, Frank, the biggest thing I'm doing in your life is getting you to trust me. None of us, um, none of us get to opt out. We all need to learn it today. If I was to kind of throw it one big idea in front of you, if you're a note taker and you want to write this down, you should do it now because you won't see it again. <laughs> we will never risk as we should until we believe God is worthy. Of our trust. Now, I know when you see the word risk immediately, you're kind of like, I I don't know if I like that. And I, I understand that. We wrestled with using that word during these weeks and struggled with it a little bit because of the negative connotation of it. However, when it comes right down to it, for the person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, for the child of God, risk really is faith. Because you're willing to make a choice or do something where you may lose, right? That's risk. That's faith as well, with one small exception. If you have your faith in God and who he is and what he's done, you'll never lose. And that's what I want to look at today, together this morning. There's a story uh, of a fellow that was born back in 1887 in the Chicago area. His name was William Borden. William Borden was the oldest son of Mr. and Mrs. Borden. I don't know their names, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but they were the owners of the very wealthy Borden Dairy Company, still kind of in existence today in some places, uh, more popular in some than other. Uh, William graduated from private school at age 16. His parents gave him the gift that all of us are given when we graduate from high school. They gave him a trip around the world. And as he was traveling around the world, he came into contact with a great number of people and what God did in his heart was impress on him how many millions upon millions of people had never even heard the name of Jesus. So as he considered everything that was to be his, that his parents were to hand down to him, and then he considered this this weight that God had laid on his heart for these people, the unreached people groups who, who had never heard the name of Jesus, as he considered those two things, he was like, this is clear. God is calling me to be a missionary. So at 17 years old, he let his parents know, he let his friends know that he was going to walk away from the family business to enter Yale to study, to be a missionary. Yes, that Yale, back in the day, right? Um, His friends, his family, they thought that he was throwing his life away. They told him. You're throwing your life away. Think about everything you could have. Think about how many missionaries you could support. But he said, no, this, this is what God has called me to do. And he opened his Bible at that time, just before he entered Yale, and in the back of his Bible, he wrote this phrase, no reserves. He went through Yale. He excelled in his studies. He excelled in athletics. He was a student leader. He began this um, student movement uh, of Christianity within Uh, the university. He graduated from Yale. He decided to get his master's degree to further prepare him for missionary work, and so (laughs) he went from Yale to Princeton University, the other evangelical stalwart of our day. (laughs) But in between those two, he had six, seven, some say even up to a dozen different offers to give him a high-profile, high-paying, Incredibly important job, different offers, and he turned every single one of them down. In 1909, as he began his studies at Princeton, he wrote in the back of his Bible, underneath the No Reserves, he wrote, No Retreat. Graduated in 1912, spent a few months in New York City in a missions internship, and and while he was there, he became aware of a specific people group in China that had almost 10 million Muslims who lived in this people group, and they had never been presented an opportunity to respond to Christ. They didn't have any gospel representation among them, and so he felt that was where God was calling him to. But in order to go into a Muslim people group in China, he felt ill-equipped. He felt like he needed to learn the language, and so he stopped in Cairo on his way to China to learn Arabic so he could be better equipped to work with them. He left America, New York City, in December of 1912, and on March 21st, he was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And he died 19 days later. He never made it to China. When he died, his belongings were collected and sent back to his parents. His parents opened his Bible and they saw those first two sayings, right? They saw, okay, no reserves, no retreat. But the last entry dated Less than a week from when he passed away, there was one more saying, no regrets. So I ask you this question, is it possible to live like that today? Is it? I think the answer is found for us here in our text in Matthew 8. We're going to make it to verse 18. Leading up to verse 18, what's happening is Jesus had already healed the leper um, just by touching him, right? Um, sorry, I've got to move my microphone here. It's scratching up against me. So um, he healed the leper just by touching him. He, he healed the centurion's servant by speaking a word. The servant wasn't even there, right? The servant was back in the centurion's home and he, he healed that centurion servant just by speaking. He then went to Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law and then multitudes of other people were brought to his home and he, he healed a great many people. And then we're told in the book of Mark, kind of a parallel passage here, that he was told, it's, he told his disciples, it's time to get out of here. It's time to go. God's called me to do other things. And so he, he, in, in verse 18 tells his disciples, get in the boat. We're going over to the other side. Now, people who are there in Capernaum, they, they want to be with Jesus because they've seen him do the miracles, they've heard his teaching. They're they're thinking, Look at the stuff this guy's doing. I love this. I, I want to I be with him, and I don't know when I'm gonna see him again. So we want to jump in there. So as they are heading to the boat, Jesus is approached by a scribe. Let me start in verse 18, Matthew 8. So Jesus saw the large crowd around him. He gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said to this, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So so here comes this scribe. What is a scribe? A scribe is a person who was um, in a very highly politicized position, Uh, He would have studied the law. He would have studied the law of Moses. He was a cultural elite person. Uh, He had status in society, but he also had status in the the synagogue or in the temple. So he was looked up to by almost everybody. His job as scribe um, brought great authority, great respect, great financial standings. And here's this scribe listening and seeing what Jesus is doing. And he says, I'm all in, Jesus. Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'm 100% committed to you. Wherever you go, I'm there. And Jesus' response is ultimately, you have absolutely no idea what you just said. If you follow me, Jesus says, you leave everything behind. And you get me. That's it. You're not guaranteed a home. You're not guaranteed a place to lay your head. You're not guaranteed a place to, to find safe and comfortable to get away from the stresses of the day. You're not guaranteed relationships. You're not guaranteed any possessions. You're not guaranteed a certain reputation. In fact, in fact, if you remember correctly, as Jesus is teaching in other places, he makes it very clear that the opposite is true, right? If they persecute me, they're coming after you for sure, right? If they hate me, they're most certainly gonna hate you so let me (laughs) you don't have to answer this one out loud because it might get awkward but how many times have you heard the exact opposite taught oftentimes in church regularly in the media you know if you cling to jesus everything's going to go very easy for you right you know, and when you come to Jesus, all of those those difficulties that are are mounting up in your life are just going to fall by the wayside. I mean, you, it's easy. You come to Jesus, and you'll be free from the heartache that made you to look for Jesus to begin with. All that will just evaporate and disappear. And it's a lie. And so when the opposite happens, you know, what Jesus promised would happen, when that happens and we're persecuted, or we're hated, or we're put into a a pressure cooker, or we experience great difficulty, we act surprised. I can't believe this is happening. Um, I saw a quote this week by Tim Keller, and I'm going to butcher the quote, so don't try to look it up based on what I'm about to say. But basically he said this, if you get to the place in your life where you say, I put my trust in God, I relied on God, and he failed me. The reality is God didn't fail you. You just didn't get what you wanted. Isn't that the way we live? If I follow Jesus, then I have an expectation of what should come next. I follow Jesus, my life should be sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, and absolutely no kale. That should be my entire life right? My, my, my athletic teams all should win the championship, which gets really difficult, and it cracks me up, and they're like, Lord, would you be with the Ravens today? Well, hold on. What if people are praying for the Patriots, right? I mean, God doesn't have a team. I'll stop right there. There are so many other places to go. But we act shocked when our ideal isn't met. So some people look at this and they think that the scribe was looking at the crowds surrounding Jesus and the crowds reacting to Jesus and thought, this one, man, if I if I if I hook my wagon to this cart, then then he's just going to pull me wherever he goes and and as he continues to rise in fame and in fortune, then I get to reap the benefit, and I, in turn, will achieve great luxury and great ease. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear to him in a couple of ways. First, very subtle way. Let me explain this to you real quick. He uses a name for himself for the first time in the book of Matthew, the Son of Man. He doesn't refer to himself as Christ. He doesn't refer to himself as the Messiah. He doesn't refer to to himself as Lord. The reason is this. If he he, he, um, uh, referred to himself as Messiah... The picture is the savior of the Jews, the one who comes in as the Jews are living in this mess of the Roman Empire, the savior, okay, they're, he's, they're saved. If he uses the phrase Lord, well, that's like king, like, like Roman uh, leadership and Caesar. But he uses the word out of Daniel chapter seven, the name son of man, which speaks not of what's happening right now, but one day will happen in glory. He says, let me tell you something, Mr. Scribe. When you come to Jesus, you get Jesus. You, you don't get health, you don't get wealth, you don't even get free cable. You get Jesus. And someday, someday, as that inheritance is poured out on Jesus, you will receive the same. But in the meantime, in the meantime, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. So, Mr. Scribe, are you sure you're in? You need to know what you're signing up for. It's not a, a life of belonging to a club where you come and you drop off your kids and you drink some coffee and then you sing some happy, happy songs. And then you listen to a guy spit and yell for about a half an hour. Then you pick up your kids and you walk outside and you get in the car and you sing show tunes all the way home because life is perfect. That's not what you're signing up for when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I think, I think Christianity universally, but most specifically westernized Christianity, is in the heap of trouble that it's in. is because that's the Christianity we promised to you as preachers. And the reality is that is not the Christianity that Jesus is calling you to. He's calling you to a life of denying yourself. He's calling you to saying no to yourself. He's calling you to sacrifice some of the comfort that you hold so dear. Are you willing to follow him no matter what it costs you? Are you only going to follow him and serve him if there's something in it for you? You know, the no reserve no matter what it costs, I'm in. It's interesting that after Jesus responds to the scribe, and, and, and let me be honest, we don't know if the scribe said, I'm in still, and decided to follow him. It doesn't tell us, okay? But another uh, disciple uh, approaches is, is in verse uh, 21. Lord, another of his disciples says, okay, first let me go bury my father. And then Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> okay, so, so after this interaction with the scribe, you get this other guy running towards the boat, like, hold the boat, hold on, I'm in, I'm in. Hold on. But Jesus, I got a couple other things I got to wrap up first, okay? Is there a second boat coming around sometime? Because I'm in. I mean, I have this one thing I got to do. And, and I mean, it's, it's kind of insensitive for me to joke about it, right? Because the fellow's like, I need to go bury my dad. And you think it's insensitive for me to joke about it all? Look at how Jesus answers him. Right? That's not the bedside manner you would expect from our loving, kind Savior. The response of Jesus can seem pretty cold-hearted when he's like, seriously, You need to be- let the dead bury their own dead. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. But what you need to understand is that this isn't the same thing as going to a funeral. See, culturally, we miss the boat on this one a lot. So let me help you out. If dad had just died, he would have been buried that day. That's the culture. Still is in a lot of areas over there. If he had died, he would have been buried that day. And then because of the death of his father, because of the burial of his father, the son would have been excused from all religious activity, all religious responsibilities. He wouldn't have had to study the scripture. He wouldn't have had to go serve in the temple or 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 in synagogue. He 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 wouldn't have to even really leave the house. So so the reality that a fellow is standing there listening to the teaching of Jesus the same day his father died, it's very unlikely, okay? There's, there's two other options as to what this fellow is actually saying. The first is this. There was a custom um, of burying dad, the patriarch of the family. And then after a year, the eldest son, in order to receive his inheritance, would have to come back and dig the bones back up, then put them in an ossuary and, and bury them a second time, and then he would receive his inheritance. So perhaps this fellow is saying, listen, I'm not free to, to break this tradition, and even if I did, I'm going to lose my inheritance, so I, I don't know. Okay, that's, that's one option. I think that this is the traditional saying of the day, which you can find it in a number of historical places, where this fella is saying, um, I, I need to bury my father. He, in essence, is saying, no, I need to stay home and take care of my parents until they die. And similar to, this is the dumbest illustration thing I've ever used, but that's all right, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, if you wanted to ask, ask a young lady out, You would ask, "Are you available to go to the malt shop with me?" And she might say, "Ew, uh, I'm sorry, I gotta wash my hair." Is she lying? No, she gotta wash her hair. She doesn't tell you when. It's a great excuse. And I think what's happening here is the fellow saying, "Okay, my dad's still alive, and I need to wait till he's gone and I actually bury him before I can follow Jesus." So in reality, that could have taken years Um, before I forget I I have a big a big asterisk right next to don't forget this don't misapply this this is not Jesus saying you should not stay home and care for your aging and ailing parents you should there are many gospel opportunities and it's a wonderful way to serve Jesus Christ that's not what he's talking here what he's talking about here is this fella is coming he says man I'm in as soon as dad dies I'm in Soon. I got some things I gotta wrap up. I got some things I gotta take care of first. I mean, when that, that second or third boat comes by, I'm gonna jump on there and I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. What he wants, hear this clearly, because this is incredibly important. This explains many who sit even here at Uniontown Bible Church on a Sunday morning. What he wants is the promise of being with Jesus in the future without being with him or following him right now. jesus has called you and he has then you need to step out and follow him if jesus has called you he hasn't called you with a nine easy monthly installment payment plan he hasn't called you to convenience it is in or it is out stop giving jesus what is left This is is the person who, who thinks they can turn on or turn off their allegiance to Jesus based on convenience. And I'm going to tell you this right now. An allegiance that can be turned on or off is not allegiance. You are serving yourself. And Jesus says, no, what you have done, sir, is you have served me while I'm here in your hometown. You have been my disciple. He calls him his disciple right here in Capernaum. And it's been easy. It's been convenient. But as soon as it's time to get on the boat and go, you're like, I don't know. There's got to be an easier way to do this. And Jesus says, no, I want you to serve me without the possibility of retreat. So think about how dramatic and drastic those calls are on the lives of these men, right? The scribe and the disciple are told, equally. You want to follow me? You'll have no place to lay your head. You better make sure you're all in. And then the, the other one is, you, you want to follow me? Then get in the boat now and stop dilly-dallying. Let's go. I remember my dad just came out. I don't know what that was, but that's okay. <laughs> as those things are there, as that is the call on your life, you have to understand it's costly. It's costly. It's costly. There is no easy Jesus. It's costly. So what you need to wrestle with this morning, friends, is is it worth it? It's kind of an ugly way to say it, but you've got to ask that question. You've got to evaluate that. Is it worth it? Does Jesus have the right to make such demands on your life? Is it justified? I wonder if that's what the disciples were thinking as they get in that boat to go to the other side there in verse 23 as they crowd into this boat. I mean, they might have been kicking around the other man. We could have used more disciples. Jesus is more, so much more than we could ever possibly imagine. That if we step out of our comfort, even in ways that other people might consider risky, we will never regret it. And I think that's why Matthew continues here in verse 23. As Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. The disciples came. They woke him up saying, Lord, save us! We're going to die! Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men were amazed. They asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the sea Obey him. So, so, so picture this. You've just got two disciples trying to get on the boat. Jesus says, okay, you, you really end. I mean, do you understand what it is you're asking for? You, you don't, I don't think. And then these other guys are like, we're already in. We're following him no matter where we go. We have turned our back on everything. There is no reserve. There is no retreat. So they jump in the boat, and the and storm comes off the, the hills, and this, and there's storms over there. The, the, you can have an eight-foot wave crash over the the stern of the boat or the bow of the boat without any problem. And the boats are not big luxury uh, uh, um, boats. you got to understand that these boats are probably about 26 feet long, about 8 feet wide. I mean, you, you're talking to these guys. You, you sit in there, and you're, you're pretty snug inside of this boat. And this storm can come up super fast and it seems like it came up rather quickly. And now the waves, which are being driven across the Sea of Galilee, are now crashing on top of the boat. He uses the word, the boat is being swamped. So so imagine this for a moment. You take a bowl and there's a a, a candle. You take the bowl and you put it over the candle. It's completely covering the candle. That's the same word here. The water is just completely inundating them. And it makes sense that the disciples are in this, in this boat trying to, trying to bail the water out, but as fast as they bail, more water comes in. And this is somewhat ironic, right? Just a few verses earlier, Jesus says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And now he found some place to lay his head. And he's out. He is sound asleep. What has to be going through the minds of those disciples? Is this it? Is this why we've left everything? To follow him out into the middle of the sea, we're going to die. And then think about it. There there are men on this this boat that are fishermen, trained fishermen or or mariners. I mean, they are experts and have all kinds of experience, but it doesn't matter how much experience or the expertise, they can't keep the water out of the boat. Jesus is asleep. (laughs) Well, wake him up. Wake him up. The least... Jesus can do is help us bale water, right? So, so wake him up. And they wake up Jesus. <sighs> you little faith ones. Why are you afraid? Now please notice as you read this, and it's important that you understand the order of things. Jesus says this before he does anything about the storm. So in your mind's eye picture, the wind is pelting the disciples with the spray from the waves as they are just being thrown all over the place. And they're trying to hold on. They're trying to get the water out. And then, it wake Jesus, wake up! And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you afraid, little faith ones? And then they stay rocking for a while, holding on to whatever they can. And I can imagine the look of Jesus right into their eyes as they're just being thrown about. I think what he needed them to understand is that if Jesus is on the boat and he wants to be on the other side, he's getting to the other side. Mark tells us in his uh, retelling of this account that Jesus looks out at the wind and the waves and says, Silence! Shh! And just as intense as the storm was, throwing them around, the calm is just that intense. Have you ever experienced an intense calm? sounds like a weird thing to say, doesn't it? But have you ever experienced that intense calm when there's absolutely no light, you can't see the hand in front of your face, you're hearing nothing except for that that high pitch that your ears make? Or maybe I've had a few too many concussions, I don't know. That's what happens for me. But it's just as intense Calm. So think about it this way. You take your television, and you crank it up to the maximum volume, which somebody in my house does regularly. I don't know who that is. And as that loudness, that cacophony of noise is just crushing your eardrums, hit mute, and it's... That's what happened on the Sea of Galilee in that moment. And the question that the disciples ask is the question that you and I need to understand the answer to. What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obeys him. I'm going to run through a few psalms with you real quick. How about this one? Psalm 107. It tells a story and then gives this awesome ending. Others... Went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and he raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. Rising up to the sky, then sinking down to the depths. You can feel yourself on the boat in this psalm. Their courage was melting away in anguish. They reeled and they staggered like a drunkard and all their skill was useless. They were hanging on for everything they could do and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Oh, and they rejoiced when those waves grew quiet. The disciples would have grown up singing those songs, that song as a little boy with their mama and their daddy. They would have sung this song about this great God who silenced the storm, the winds, and the waves. They would have sung the song of Psalm 77. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and it trembled. Even the depths Shook The clouds were pouring down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound for your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and it quaked. Your way went through the sea. Your path through the vast water. But your footprints were unseen. They would have sung this psalm. At your rebuke, Lord, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. In this moment, as the disciples are on the boat with Jesus, and He just silenced this huge storm, what He what what they realized in this moment is those songs they sung as little kids—they were singing about Jesus. This is who we're following. This is the one who we have left all for. This is the one we can truly say we will have no reserve or retreat as we follow him because this is the sovereign over all creation. This is God himself. This is not a story about Jesus stilling the storms of your soul to bring you peace. This is a story answering the question that every single one of us has asked. Is Jesus worth it? Is it, is it worth me taking on shame? Is it worth me being persecuted? Is it worth me being embarrassed? Is it worth me saying, I'm going to walk away from what seems to be the ideal so that I might pursue him because I know he said, come on, step out, follow me. <laughs> if you follow him and only him and you expect nothing else in return except for him, if you hold nothing back, if you pursue him without reserve, if you, you don't allow any room for a retreat, I promise you, you will have no regrets. He's the one the wind and the waves obey. That's who he is. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Stop counting the cost. Stop doing the mental mathematics to see how you can make it work. No, 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 no. Step out of the boat. He's calling you. Are you going to go? Pray with me. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for just the truth that we can confidently rest in, that you are worth it. Thank you that we know that all these things being in your hands, none of them will drop. Thank you that that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we pursue you and follow you and all we get is you, we have been given a ridiculous wealth. Thank you that, that we are able to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us, what he's done through us, what he's done in us. I thank you that our Jesus laid himself out on that cross and received the punishment for our sin, so that we could go free and then rose again from the dead. God, we know there is nothing we can do apart from what Jesus has already done. So remind us of that. And may we yield every aspect of our lives to you, holding nothing back. May we be fixed on Christ and Christ alone. It's in his wonderful name I pray. Amen.